Marcus steps up and buries it. This will be a wonderful goal. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. We're back for another week. We're here to talk about round three of the AFLW. We had some cracking results, some big things to talk about. So we absolutely can't wait to crack in to today's chat. Before we do, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Imogen Evans, and Sarah Burt. So, friendos, round three, it's already, it's moving so quickly. It's slipping through my fingers, um, to quote that ABBA song. Um, but we had some very fun results over the weekend, so we'll quickly do a recap of them. We started the round at everyone's favourite time, 5.05 on a Friday. We had North coming back against Geelong to get the win. On Saturday, we had some very fun, interesting times. We had Richmond uh, defeating the Giants after a slight delay that we will talk about. The Crows defeated the Bombers. Melbourne were huge winners over the Western Bulldogs. We had Frio defeating the Hawks. And then on Sunday, Port Adelaide beat St Kilda. Carlton were huge winners over West Coast. Gold Coast defeated the Pies and Brisbane beat the Swans. So we'll start, we'll get it out of the way, Imo. Obviously your Pies lost to Gold Coast, commiserations, condolences, all of those Thank kinds of things. <laughs> it's it's no, no, no go pies this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, we don't, we don't deserve it. No, no go pies today. But um, <laughs> talk to us about it. We had a little bit of a chat about it in the office earlier in the week. But what went wrong for the pies and what worked for Gold Coast? Because they, you did tell me that they impressed you because they were impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to start with. I'll just say I didn't play, so I don't know how it was feeling on the field during the actual game, but this is kind of from, I guess, um, an audience's perspective and also kind of drawing on what we did in review yesterday. But um, in my opinion, yeah, the Suns really kind of came out and they showed that they had a real will to win. Um, You could tell they were hungry, they were physical. um, And at the end of the day, they just played better football than us um, and then got got the win. Um, I thought they were very explosive um, and they turned up every time there was a contest, they turned up, they had numbers and they used the numbers really, really well to kind of transfer the ball across the field. And they were super efficient going for goal. Whereas if you kind of looked at us comparatively, like we had higher inside fifties territory, especially in like the second or third quarter, I think it was up in like the 80% territory for us and we couldn't score. So that's on us and full credit to the Suns for doing what they did on the weekend um, and yeah, we took a little, little lessons out of that. I guess you know there always comes with positives and negatives, and we did play some of our brand of football. And I guess when we did that, it just shows how good we can be. And um, every team kind of looks at that. But um, yeah, I'm interested to see how the Suns will go this weekend, and hopefully we can get another win on the board. Because as we know, like every loss is quite significant in this competition, with percentage playing a large role in the ladder at the end of the year. Um, because you know we don't verse everyone, so we need to start getting a few dubs. Sarah, what did you kind of like about the Suns? Is this kind of a, like some people were talking about it as like a really significant moment for the Suns, probably one of 
their best, if not their best kind of win over the course of their history. Is it that big? And I suppose the second question is, can they sustain it? Because they're currently in the top four. Can they actually do something this season to kind of back up what we've seen from them so far? Yeah, firstly, I wanted to say in regards to what Imo just said is that I think the players did improve this week, although they didn't win. I think they were showing um, some pretty promising play overall, Um, but I won't get into the individual performances in that regard. But to what you just said, I, yes, I think it was a really significant win for the Suns. We know they had a huge, like third highest ever score in AFLW history the week before. I think I think that's what it was, but certainly their highest score. Um, and so, but of course, that was against West Coast. So, and who we know aren't having a good season. So it, we needed, and this word annoys the hell out of me, but it is the only way to describe it. We needed a bit of a barometer. We needed to see where they sat against teams like Collingwood, who have a lot of experience, who are traditionally good solid teams with strong defence, um, we needed to see where they sat in in sort of like the mid-range, like playing mid-range teams rather than playing the team at the bottom of the ladder. So um, I think it was, yeah, it was really um, important. There was one player, Lucy Single, that really, really impressed me. I haven't got her stats up, but I act- admittedly had never heard her name before and then sitting there in the commentary box for that game, I was like, oh my God, like, who is this person? She was just everywhere. She was like, she just, her defending was strong. She was quick on the ground. I was just so, so impressed. Um, So that was, yeah, that was really exciting to see some, um, and particularly because the three of us are Victorian based. It's nice to be able to um, see some non-Victorian talent really excelling in games against a team that's huge in Victoria, like the Pies. So, yeah, that's sorry, Mo, but no, you're <laughs> it's fine. But like some of Marissa said yesterday, like it's good to see yeah a team kind of like the Suns that aren't in Victoria performing well. Um, it creates a bit of interest, a bit of controversy. Like, um, I think it's really good for the competition. And another thing, I think although they versed West Coast last year, like any team that kind of scores that amount of points you'd have some confidence, some sort of aura, and also like you'd be in some sort of form to be able to produce that kind of score, even against a team like West Coast. And I think we really, as a team, underestimated that going into the game as well. Just That's on- true, you still have to get the goals. <laughs> 100%. Just, I wanted to quickly talk about Lucy Single as well, because um, there was a great piece on her on the AFL website, um, And, you know, she, it is kind of like she has popped up out of nowhere, but she said in this article that, you know, she quit her job. She like cut down on uni commitments and kind of went full ball into footy and it is paying off because even um, across her first three games, the role she has played as kind of the hard tagger has been really successful. She kept Mimi Hill really quiet against Carlton. She kept Emma Swanson really quiet. And we know that she's a really key part of the Eagles. And then obviously she had the job on Brie Davey and particularly in that second half while Brie was in the midfield, she was non-existent, which is not something you think of with Brie Davey. Like you just assume that a, a tag is nothing to her. She'll kind of brush anyone aside. So it's a huge credit um, to Lucy Single and what she's been able to do. And I suppose the other thing is then 
it's not just single. Like, obviously, she's doing her job, but Claudia Whitford continues to impress. Uh, Charlie Rowbottom continues to, to impress. And Jamie Stanton just keeps scoring goals. She's currently the leading kicker for the season with 10. So it all just seems to be coming together for the Suns, which is great if you are a fan of Gold Coast and trumpets and things of that nature. Um, Sorry but... to be about it. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's interesting you say um, that how Lucy cut down her hours in work and uni stuff because that's like from my that's huge like I'm as a player constantly thinking about like should I just like cut down on my hours at work although I have to be honest but should I cut down should I not study should I just focus on football and I think that's that's awesome that she's been able to do that and it's great to see that she's um improved because I actually had played a bit of football back home with her coming through the Suns Academy growing up and local football um, and you're exactly right. She's kind of um, really impressed in this first three games and I'm really excited for her and good on her. Yeah, good on her. One thing I quickly wanted to float before we move on to all the rest of the other games was that the huge talking point, the huge matchup for this game was Brie Davy and Charlie Rowbottom. And interestingly, we didn't. it didn't end up being the talking point of the game. We didn't see mm. a lot of it. Brie Davy, despite that goal, that was the, her first touch when she got that goal. Um, so it was interesting that we they sort of managed, both sides managed to silence that main person that they were worried about, which I think was, um, yeah, I think it was credit to you guys that you were able to keep Charlie Rowbottom on a bit of a leash. But, um, yeah, they were able to do it with Bree as well, which was very unexpected from, from my perspective. Mm. Interesting game. <laughs> It was an interesting game, um, but there were other interesting games. So shall we move along to some of the other matches we saw across the weekend? We'll talk about the D's and Dogs, the Hampson-Hardman Cup. Obviously, the D's won once again. I believe this was their 12th win in a row, which is a new AFLW record. And what we were kind of talking about before we hit record was just there is a sense of almost inevitability when it comes to these Ds. The way they are kind of doing things, it just feels um, like unstoppable. And there's a great piece from ESPN writer Ellie McNerney on the website at the moment. That's ESPN.com.au for those of you playing along at home. And she wrote about how these Ds just seem to be you know, no daisy, no worries. Everything is still working and clicking. And if one kind of cog is not functioning properly there are three others that will pitch in and do the work and get it done so um my favorite stat from that article was that in the first three games they have scored 161 points which just seems like a ridiculously large number but um I feel like we've spoken a lot about the D's but like do you guys feel similarly that there is a sense of just this snowball is rolling down the mountain and nothing is going to stop it um, from a player's perspective, it's, I'd be lying if I said that we weren't all intimidated by the performances that the, at that Melbourne have been putting forward. Um, it's super impressive to see what they've done. And I didn't know that they'd won 12 games in a row and that's a credit to them. And that's amazing. Um, but I guess, you know, you've got to have a, you've got to trust the process and you've got to trust the training that you've done as a team. And I think, 
I've definitely got the belief and I know a lot of all of the girls here, we've got the belief, but it's just a matter of stringing together football that is up to their standard and being able to consistently play that against them. That's the struggle because they are so good and they've been in form for so long. So that's the challenge that I guess every team faces is playing their best football against the best team in the competition for four quarters in order to truly get a measure of where you, where you're at. Yeah, I think as we've we've have discussed them a lot, but as we know, they've not had any changes apart from Daisy. They know how to play. They've obviously all kept themselves very fit in the off season, which is something that we we shouldn't skip over because just because you win the premiership in one season, it doesn't mean that you know it's not like we see teams win premierships in multiple years in a row all the time. So they've they do have that responsibility. They've got a new captain. They've had to despite fact that they haven't had a lot of changes like some other teams they have had to keep that up so um you know it's not it's not an easy feat for them to continue to to win 12 games in a row but one thing I did want to say and I know I mentioned this last week is that Ellie Blackburn was the number one player in that game and like 29 disposals, did kick it behind, but was very much involved in a lot of the forward entries for the doggies. I just, and I said it last week, she just needs support, particularly in the midfield there. And I feel like a lot of the time she is just carrying the load a bit on her own. Um, so it's it's disappointing because she's having a really good season as usual. Um, but the doggies just seem to be falling away sort of outside of where she is. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that, that the Demons won, but um, it's Ellie did have, have a great, great game. She did. She always does. Um, I think it was interesting that it seemed like the doggies kind of stayed with the Ds for at least three quarters and then... Melbourne just kind of shooted away from shooted away. That's terrible English. Just kind of zoomed um, in that final shot away. Shot, yeah, shot was probably shooted was not correct. That's the. I actually the... kind of like the image shooted painted in my in my mind. <laughs> it, was, it was very good. I really enjoyed it. You you saw it visually, like I sh- I saw it visually in HD. <laughs> oh my god. Um. It's a good thing I don't get paid to talk, otherwise that would be really problematic. <laughs> but like, um, the point was that like I'm getting paid for this, are you not? <laughs> I don't want to say anything, Sarah, but that's a fair point. <laughs> They've really dogged you. <laughs> oh no, I've completely derailed this with my silly word choices. But no, like on a <laughs> bringing it back, we're bringing back, we're snapping back. Um, I think it's impressive that the D's always find another gear and they always just find something in the tool bag so I really like that I know we have spoken a little bit about the dogs um and yeah I think the the main thing is that they don't they can't seem to last the four quarters and they don't have that support yet for Ellie Blackburn but um we'll see if they can turn it around if they can find a win because from memory they are one of four winless teams at the moment which is a good segue to kind of talk about some wider uh issues we had another really high scoring round on the weekend there were some really really huge scores posted but 
the kind of flip side of that was that it wasn't even high scoring, if that makes sense. And I think the one example that really stood out was um, the likes of a Lions beating the Swans or Carlton beating West Coast really heavily. So how are we feeling about, I suppose, the disparity between teams? How do we kind of celebrate the high scoring, which is something that we've all wanted with actually making sure that it's not just blowouts week in, week out? Because ultimately that doesn't become fun for fans. It certainly wouldn't be fun for players being on the receiving end of shellacking. So how do we kind of find this balance between scoring lots of goals but making contests even? I wonder if it just depends on sort of getting through some of those, I know the term we use often around AFOW is teething issues, but maybe it actually is just a matter of waiting it out for a few more seasons, which I know is painful for the players in the competition at the moment. It might be painful for the fans, but, you know, the men have got 150 years behind them at this level of competition and we're only in our seventh, eighth, so seventh year. Um, So we do need to be a bit more patient. I think the expectation that some of these rule changes would hopefully make the matches higher scoring, that has been achieved. Um, There's no way to manage that both the teams will get really high scores. There's no way to ensure that. So if the goal was to have higher scoring games, that's what we've got. And we might just have to rely on, you know, we know AFLW has really heavy player movement almost every single off season. Um, and we might just have to wait it out a bit and, and hope that the competition evens itself out when we see the draft and, and all those sort of things. But I think if you're looking to see if it's been successful to try and have higher scores. I think it has been a success. It's just been unfortunate for some of the teams that have been on the receiving end of it, in my opinion. I agree, but I also think it's in, like it's important to not forget the men have had 150 years, but if you look at West Coast's performances this year in the men's competition, that was pretty disappointing, even though, you know, Hawthorne did play a couple of great games. They were similar in kind of underperforming what they were kind of think. well... Well, although JB and the other footy pod said they wouldn't win a game. So anyway, we won't talk about that. But like the men still kind of seem to have that kind of gap too. So I think it's important not to isolate this issue to AFLW, not that we were, but just providing a bit of context. Like the men have also have that kind of disparity in scores in team. But another like issue kind of unique to AFLW is the fact, I know it's been talked spoken about a lot, but it's part-time, so it's kind of hard to also get athletes to travel to West Coast particularly um, because, like, it's just you kind of just have to move your whole life away and that's a larger commitment, I'd say, for a female in this sport than a male just due to the financial commitments and that kind of stuff. Um, I still assume it'd be, like, emotionally difficult for the men, not saying it won't be, but I guess there's that element to the whole conversation as well that we should kind of consider. I think that's a really important point because from memory, part of the reason Izzy Huntington moved from the Dogs to the Giants was that her work outside of football had more opportunities up in Sydney. So she was able to kind of balance both things and there was, I suppose, more pros across the um, 
across her life for lack of a better kind of explanation in moving to Sydney. So um, I think it is a really important thing that we're um, making sure that we balance the, the differences between the men's and the women's comp, but also like acknowledging the similarities and not blowing things out of proportion. I think that's a really important point. Um, did we have any final thoughts on that one before we move along? Excellent. I did mention Izzy Huntington, so we should probably talk a little bit about her return from just probably one of the worst injury runs ever in the history of sport, maybe. Like, not to be dramatic and hyperbolic, but tell me if I'm wrong. 616 days on the sidelines, missed two full seasons of footy and has finally come back for the Giants, made her debut... um, in that loss to Richmond. Emma, I don't know if you've had many major injuries, but from a player's perspective, just like working back from an injury and finally getting to run out, can you kind of explain it or at least sort of give us an insight into what the kind of mindset is and how you actually um, work back and get back from an injury? Because it just seems like such a huge task, obviously physically, but mentally and emotionally and all of that. Yeah. Um, first of all, huge credit. That's like, I, I personally haven't had any major injuries, but the thought of having to kind of go through that for so long mentally would be so challenging. And, but also like something that would cross my mind is like, would you have the support from the club to do that? Like contract wise, also physio wise, because if not, it's a lot of your own personal time and effort and money. Um, I'm not really sure what the kind of process was in Izzy's um, whole rehab process, but it's amazing and we shouldn't underestimate the amount of effort that would inevitably gone back into her getting on the park. Um, even just like returning and then working your way into get selected into a team, like it's crazy. And I don't know, um, I guess it would have been good to have um, Dora on the pod because having I guess a good community around you would definitely help in some sense and having that support would be super great um helpful and you'd be very grateful for it um so yeah I just honestly am just it's amazing and I'm it's great that we have stories like that in our game yeah as I, I have no experience in that sort of thing either, but you're right. It's, it is so much more of a mean feat. And as you mentioned before, we don't want to compare the men's and women's games, but if you do an ACL, let alone three ACLs in a row, if you do an ACL as a man in the men's AFL game, you are completely supported. You're paid for a full-time role. You are presumably the club doctors are there to support you round the clock, you know, like you you probably have, well, you definitely have a far more lucrative contract. It's probably more than one or two years, which is pretty hard to come across in the women's game. And it's, and you likely will have, if you have a partner or family members or whoever, because you're still getting paid that amount of money, you're probably able to help financially support others so they can be there for you and help you out but as we said Izzy moved into state her brothers and mum and dad are all still in Melbourne um obviously there's a really great cohort of players up in Sydney for her but um 
you know, people aren't female athletes and particularly FOW players aren't making enough money to just completely support themselves through that. Rehab is expensive, all of that sort of stuff. And we don't need to go into the nitty gritty of what was covered by the club or whatever, but it's time, it's emotional exhaustion. It's um, we've seen interviews with Izzy this week where she said things like, a lot of the time I just thought, is it even worth it? Like, why would I try and get back here when it just keeps happening? So the mental strength in particular that that takes that we've seen from Izzy is pretty, it's pretty impressive. And um, hopefully it's a good sign for now, fingers crossed, no more injuries. And if she's that mentally strong, then the leg's in trouble because she'll just tear it up out there because <laughs> nothing will affect her now. He is hoping for just a nice clean run of games, like honestly, because she absolutely deserves it. Also, I'm glad you mentioned Dora Isadora McClay, who was on the pod last week. She will be back throughout the season, but I think last week she wrote an article about ACLs that you can read on ESPN.com.au, getting lots of cheeky plugs in uh, today. But yeah, definitely read what she had to write on eight what she wrote on ACLs because it is unfortunately a really big talking point in the women's game in particular and not just in footy like we see it across sports it's a particularly big issue in women's soccer at the moment as well um it just it seems to be so prevalent and as we know generally speaking women's competitions no matter the code are just not set up at the same level as the men so it does make what is already a very kind of traumatic and life-changing event even more difficult when you have to worry about things like financials and your job and your living situation and all that kind of stuff so um it was very it's funny now um but like I said 616 days plus half an hour that's how long Izzy had to wait because we had the delay up in Blacktown um, very relieved that that's what you meant when you were talking about funny because I was yeah. like, I don't see much humour in what poor Izzy's gone through, no, no, but no, we're no. talking about the snake. We snake. are talking about <laughs> the snake. So my first question to you, both of you is, have you ever seen a game be delayed because of a very poisonous, very venomous snake being on the field? And did you find it hilarious as well? Now that we know that, like, no one got hurt, everyone was safe, everyone was fine. It, is is it just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen? Because I, yeah. My favourite part of the whole thing, yeah, it was bizarre. It was so Australian. It was just so in line with AFLW because, like, we play at community venues. We deal with vastly different conditions to what the AFL men's competition play in. Like, that could could not, would not happen there. It's just, it's hilarious. And it's just, it just goes to show like how sort of community-based it is. But my favourite part was the snake catcher because like when you picture a snake catcher, <laughs> you picture that guy. Like he wasn't just sitting there watching, like I'm, I don't want to generalise, but I don't reckon he was just in the crowd. I don't reckon he was watching the women's footy game. I think they probably had to get him in from somewhere else. But he's just like, he's got his floppy hat on. He doesn't have gloves on or a stick or anything. He's just barehanding that venomous snake. <laughs> and he's like playing with it too for a while. Like he's kind of like swinging it around, fiddling with it while he's on the side. 
um, while everyone's just like, what is going on? We need to get on with this game. And he's just so like chilled out about it. It was just, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. You, you're so right. In ter- and I think everyone joked. They were like, if you had to visualize a snake catcher, that is the person you were visualizing. Um, there were some very good memes. Um, and one of my personal favorites was from the AFLW account itself, where they had, um, basically the stat line for the snake. They named it Snakey McSnake Face, and we had some thoughts on this. It's not a good name. Come on. It's not a it's good not, name. It's not creative. Like, I get that it's kind of quirky and funny, but they, there's some creative people in there. I think we could have done better. We Okay, also, so Bodie McBoatface was a 2016 joke. Like, we're coming up <laughs> also, on a decade. Like, new joke, new gag, let's go. <laughs> Do snakes have faces? Like, technically, I know they have mouths and fangs, but (laughs) do they have a whole face? I don't know. Tell us, uh, add us at footy tips on Twitter, everyone. Do snakes have faces? Um, Very important footy questions here. Um, But I really enjoyed the, um, you know, they had 11 hiss-outs and 207 metres slithered. So... Um, very dad joke kind of energy, but I loved it and I yeah. respected it. It was very good. Um, but yeah, as we said, the main thing from that was good Richmond win. Love to see Izzy Huntington back because um, it's just no more ACLs. No more. Don't want them. Keep them to yourselves. Um, uh, the final thing I wanted to mention from round three, because we haven't actually spoken about the opening game of the round, Um it was the Cats and the Roos. The Cats got off to such a great start. Three goals looked like they were going to do something and then the Roos kind of flexed their muscle, put on a whole bunch of unanswered goals and the Cats just couldn't get back into it. The star of the show, as she almost always is, Jasmine Garner. Um, the stat line, ridiculous. 32 disposals, 12 tackles, 12 clearances, a goal, nine inside 50s and over 600 metres gained. Do we have any more words for kind of what Jazz Garner does on a footy field? Because I feel like I'm running out of them. Yeah, we are. And her consistency is something that is just so exciting because you see every year we have breakout players that have obviously had amazing pre-seasons or their bodies have changed and they've just come out firing. But Jazz Garner, it is a known thing within the AFLW community that for some reason she just doesn't get the votes, but she deserves them. <laughs> Everyone knows she deserves them and she just doesn't get them and it's not fair. So this to see her having another consistent year, it just solidifies in my mind that she is one of the greatest players this game, this league has seen. Um, it's And what's been really good is that no matter what changes around her, she is really adaptable, which I think is why she's so consistent. Um, because we know Georgie Prasparkas has um, had a really good year last year, but particularly this year, she's really come out of the gates. She had 27 disposals, eight tackles and a goal as well. Um, but something that that was interesting was that they were goalless for the first half. So they must, I'd be interested to hear what the conversation was at half time because North have been prolific this year and they've like, they've really just blown everyone away. So um, it's pretty it's pretty exciting to see, you know, where they – I don't know where I'm going with this, but they were goalless and then somehow they just came back out and, and smashed it. I suppose it is the sign of a good team. As much as you want to avoid something like 
failing to score. If you can get back into it, that is a sign of a good team that obviously has layers and gears. Like what I was talking about earlier with Melbourne, where like even if things aren't going perfectly, if you can find something else, if you've got another kind of um, tool in the bag that you can use to then ultimately get the win, that's a good yeah, thing and that. that's a sign of a good team. Yeah, you're right. It's that dig deep mentality and that really like this is what we've got to do to win and we're going to rearrange ourselves however we can to do so. So, I mean, if you have a goalless first half and your best player still manages 32 disposals, 12 clearances and a goal, then I think you're doing okay. You absolutely Imagine are. if they had a good first half. <laughs> Honestly, terrifying. 64 disposals. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, I just, she's just so good. I can. From jazz, I can. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) yes. Um, And she got another perfect 10 in the coaches' votes. So it's three straight weeks of perfect 10s from the coaches. So I'm just like. She's getting the votes. I'm like, umpires, are you also seeing this? Like, (laughs) are you writing in your little notebooks three votes, Jay Garner? Like. We almost need to, have you seen online that guy with the sign? <laughs> he just holds up a random sign. We need to just pay someone to stand there at every North Melbourne game and just be like, don't forget Jazz Garner's <laughs> here with a big arrow, just so the umpires remember. Or just Jay Garner three votes to kind of just like condition them. Like every time they look out to the Trigger crowd, they're memory. like, yeah. yeah, oh, Jay Garner three votes. So true, so true, bestie. <laughs> um, but that's. Round three, we have lost Imogen to poor internet, so we can't ask her what games she's looking forward to in round four, but something tells me she'll have her eye on the Saints taking on the Pies. Don't know why she would like that game in particular, but um, I think that's the one that she'll be looking forward to. Um, but says, what is catching your eye from round four? Yeah, uh, and people are probably sick of me talking about Carlton, but I think Carlton-Richmond will actually be a good one because they're both teams that we've seen sit sort of mid-range. Carlton have not been that good this season in relation to what we've seen them do before. Richmond have very much improved, having only won their first game last season and now they're eighth on the ladder. It is very impressive their defensive structure has improved vastly and they seem to have gelled more as a team. So we've sort of seen these teams both slip the opposite way, um, but they are next to each other on the ladder. They're eighth and ninth. So I think that will be a really good one to watch. It is at Icon Park and Carlton do tend to play well at Icon Park, despite not playing all that well in general this season. Um, But I think another one that I'm very keen to see is Kangaroos and Lions. Um, as we just talked about the kangaroos, they've been absolutely fantastic. They're top of the ladder at the moment. And we know that the lions are really strong. They're sitting at fifth at the moment. Um, but they, we know that the depth that side has. So, um, they have lost a few of their key players in Greta Bodie and M Bates, Jesse Wardlaw. But, um, I think, um, it might be a really telling game to see, who wins that one? Uh, my tip would be North Melbourne, but it'll be interesting to see the matchups and how the Lions go against the top team because traditionally they're almost always sort of in the top three by the back end of the season. So it'll be good to see where they are. I agree with you. I reckon that game's going to be really interesting and it's going to be um, interesting to see how the Lions go without Dakota Tav- Davidson because she was suspended um, after a not good 
looking tackle um, in round three. So that's going to be, we're going to see kind of the extent of that depth of the Lions because obviously she is a massive presence up forward, knows how to kick goals, knows how to set it up, just knows how to play in the Ford 50 and make her presence known. So that's going to be a really interesting one to watch. The other game I'm looking forward to is also on Sunday Arvo. Essendon Frio intrigues me just because I feel like they're probably two quite well-matched teams. So I'm really interested to see kind of how both of them go along, how they sort of match up against each other. So I think that will be one to keep an eye on as well on Sunday Arvo. But Lots mm, to look Windy Hill, to. that'll be good too. That'll be so good. Like I said the other week when they played their first game there, I love it when we get to go back to the the old grounds and especially one like Windy Hill where it's a proper kind of stadium, if that makes sense. Like, I yeah, love that. Yeah, less likely to be brown snakes. <laughs> I was going to make the exact same job. There's no snakes running you around. You can't rule it out. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You, you'll find like a a coffee cup rolling along in the wind rather than a snake in Essendon (laughs) but like um it's going to be another great round we obviously can't wait to talk about it for all your footy needs head over to espn.com.au the boys are talking footy as well so you can find that at the ESPN footy pod as well but we will catch you all next week Don't miss another episode of the ESPN Footy Pod by subscribing wherever you stream your podcasts.